This is CT Startup, your source for information on entrepreneurs, investors, and resources in the Connecticut startup ecosystem. From university campuses to industrial labs, from Stanford to Hartford, and from Danbury to Norwich, if it's happening out there in Connecticut, you'll find it in here. Now it's time to enter into a world of innovation, a world of human struggles, heartbreak, and achievement. And most of all, a world of wonder. Welcome to CT Startup. All right. How is everybody doing today? This is the CT Startup Podcast, and I'm one of your co-hosts, Eric Francis from Trifecta Ecosystems. Dave Menard from Mirtha Kalina. Chris DeMauro from Sublime Exposure Online. And Andrea Stahl. <laughs> from Andrea Stahl. Yeah. From Andrea Stahl. <laughs> All of it. Boy, that yeah. never gets old. No. <laughs> this could be recording like 300 with that intro. I like that. Yep. And uh, today we have uh, Kat Kazmeskis. I got it right. We've from Simply Vital Health. Not of How are you doing today? Great. Thank you. So glad to be here. Yeah. So this is actually interesting because I, I don't know if you remember this. Um, do you remember the Back East Brewing uh, um, beer and idea? Absolutely. I feel like that was the first time you actually talked about this. Probably. That was like one of the times that you were still at Yale, right? Yes. Yeah, you were yep. still at Yale. You're talking about how blockchain can do this, blockchain can do mm -hmm. that, right? And uh, what is that, three, I want to say two years later? That's uh, two years, a year later, I don't know. But, uh, but now you're here. So uh, what is Simply Vital Health? Tell us about it. Yeah. So Simply Vital Health is it's a healthcare tech company. And what we do is we provide insight into what happens as patients transition through their care. And so what that means is right now in healthcare, we're transitioning into what's called value-based care. So value-based care is where providers are reimbursed on the quality of care they provide instead of the volume. But what that means is that they're starting to have to communicate, coordinate, and share data unlike they have ever needed to before. Uh, so their performance now is actually tied to, are they talking to other providers, other nurses and physicians in other facilities, and are they effectively managing those patient transitions? So we provide a tech platform and services to help physicians, hospitals, skilled nursing facilities, anyone in healthcare, you name it, uh, the ability and support to be able to do this effectively. And you do this using blockchain? Kind of, yes. So, yes, we are employing blockchain technology, and uh, the way we're using blockchain right now is it's created the most secure HIPAA protocol. And so what that means, um, blockchain technology is essentially a ledger of transactions uh, stored chronologically. It's also immutable, which means it cannot be deleted, it cannot be changed. So the way we're using it right now is a very practical implementation, and everything that's in our platform is tracked in an immutable way. So data that's accessed, data that's used, passwords that are entered, uh, login attempts, and that's all required by HIPAA anyway. Uh, but we then send that data to the blockchain, which makes it immutable. So the reason that's important is because in this new value-based care environment, as I said, these providers are required to work together unlike ever before. So they're also nervous in how their data is being used. So because we track it in an immutable way, they can see that their data is securely being transferred, securely being read and utilized. So is this like the, the data going back and, be, uh, back and forth between hospitals? Yes. Like is that is that one of the big things because if you're not if in you're not in the Yale network right you go to the Mid State network or the Hartford Ho Hospital network they are using completely different systems right absolutely yep and even even within the same 
health system, they're using a different electronic medical record. Ah. Yeah. Now, now I assume no. that that's... Yeah. Bureaucracy wouldn't do <laughs> yeah, that. No. But, but I, I would... Yes, that, that's true. But also, <laughs> I would assume that's also because a lot of these um, groups are getting bought up, right? A lot of the hospitals that's, are g- coming together, mm-hmm. so they're being, you know, acquired. Mm-hmm. And then even the small practices, a lot of there's not a lot of family f- physicians anymore because they're underneath the bigger brand. So yep. I assume it's just because the everybody's, you know, coming together, right? That's correct. Yep. Yep. And so when all of these new providers or physicians groups come together, it doesn't make sense usually for them to change electronic medical records. Usually operationally and and fiscally, that's very expensive. Maybe down the line or a couple of years later, they'll they'll aggregate into the same EMR. But uh, yeah, no, they they don't even talk. And even if you have Epic, uh, let's say that Yale New Haven has Epic and Hartford Hospital has Epic, they're so different that they don't even communicate. (laughs) The different versions. Exactly. One one got sold two years ago, one got (laughs) sold five years ago. Exactly. Yes. Well, yeah. they're all customized software installations. So exactly. Oh, okay. They do that too. I, I have to. So, so in full disclosure, uh, I've known Cat for many years now, at least five. Yeah. I want to say. Yeah. Um. And uh, and Cat was one of the employees of the original CT Next. Mm-hmm. Um. In its very first iteration, so a, a big supporter of the Connecticut community. You know, tech, technological entrepreneur community. Uh, you know, and uh, then you went from there to work for the uh, Yale New Haven Health System. Kind of, yes. Yeah. So I went from CT Next to Community Health Center, That's Inc., right. and then to Yale New Haven, which Community Health Center, Inc. is very, is important because um, while I was there, a friend of mine, he and I designed and built a care management platform that they still use every morning to round on their patients. And they actually use it to strategically plan for the day so they can see all of their patients that are coming in, red, yellow, green, what they need in terms of uh, testing and follow-up before the patient even arrives. And so I, that's, that's actually a pivotal point because I had a very similar dashboard when I was in Teach for America, and I had every single student of mine down to red, yellow, green, and I knew by objective which students were strong and weak so that I could tailor our lessons to that. And so that has kind of been like the common thread through everything leading me to here. So, so yeah, that common thread. So you weren't an entrepreneur, you were teaching, you mm-hmm. were in healthcare, you're in what? So, so tell us how you got to, to this point. Yeah, so it's, yes. So we can... <laughs> <laughs> as far back as <laughs> you want. So I was born in 19... 19- I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Give us the whole thing. So whole thing. Um, so it, I... When I started Simply Vital, I reflected, because I kept getting this question, what's your story? So I reflected on, what is my story? And when I look back to college, I realized that when anyone would ask me what I was going to do with my life, it was actually always focused on building something. And I would, at that time, I was returning from Ecuador. I did clinical rotations in Ecuador in the rainforest. Absolutely phenomenal. And I remember I was on a plane uh, sitting next to this guy, and he said, what are you going to do? And I said, I would really like to open up a clinic on the Texas-Mexico border and focus on diabetes prevention. And so I'd always wanted to create something and it was always in healthcare. When I finished clinical rotations in Ecuador, I realized that I was actually more interested in public health and healthcare administration, not being a physician. So my entire future changed in the spring semester of my senior year of college. And so I said, well, everything that I had planned is now out the window. And I had heard about Teach for America uh, we had met the CEO, Wendy Kopp, extremely entrepreneurial, very successful entrepreneur. She has a fantastic story of, of her rise and fall in the company and how difficult it was. Um, but when I was doing Teach for America, when you're a teacher, you are very entrepreneurial. And there are many days, honestly, when being an entrepreneur is actually easier than being a teacher on the Texas-Mexico border. 
And as a teacher, I had a lot of autonomy. And everything that I did in my classroom, the harder we worked together, the stronger we built and the stronger we would just rise up together as students and teachers. And so that entrepreneurial need was met in Teach for America. I was dating my now husband, and he was recruited to teach in Hartford, Connecticut, which is how we came here. And I said, all right, now it's time for me to get my master's of public health. Again, master's, advanced degree, just like college, very autonomous. That entrepreneurial need was met. As soon as I transitioned out of my master's program, went to CT Next, entrepreneurial need was met. Then I went to Community Health Center, built a dashboard, entrepreneurial need was met. And so all along, even though I was in this traditional job area, I was still very autonomous and able to create things. And it was, it was fine. When I got to Yale New Haven, I was really excited because I was finally at this just very prestigious location. It's the sixth largest hospital in the nation. This is going to be excellent. This is going to be fantastic. Um, and while I was there, I realized very quickly that I needed that challenge back. I wanted that challenge where I could create and develop and have that autonomy again. And so it really was probably around May 2015 that I realized, you know what, I think the only way I'm going to get that feeling back is if I'm an entrepreneur, where I can create and build and, and grow something. And I just literally started to problem find as, a pro as opposed to trying to solve a problem, if that makes sense. So I did anywhere between 150 to 200 interviews with uh, physicians, administrators all around the nation. I relied on my first and second and third degree connections on LinkedIn. All of these interviews were, were external to Connecticut mainly, just trying to figure out what is happening around the nation in healthcare. And that's when I, I literally was taking Excel dashboards like that I had created that with buttons that would like link to different uh, quality metrics and I would show them to physicians and I would say, would you want this? Nope, definitely not. Not interested in that. All right, let's scrap that. And then I would, I would revamp it and try something different. And so I was creating all of these MVPs until I landed on uh, what we're doing now. So that's our story. So, so you literally just started talking to one position, got a problem, like, okay, maybe I can build this, then another one, mm -hmm. and the same thing. So just yep. customer discovery, just nonstop. Absolutely. Yep. Find a need, fill a need. It, yeah. <laughs> so, so let's build out the story a little bit because I, I, I think there's a uh, there's a few more interesting things that come after that, um, <laughs> and, and that uh, and 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 before you know we get into a ton about your company, but so one of the things that we always talk about in this podcast is what does Connecticut offer people and what what doesn't it offer people, and one of your next steps was to go to an accelerator program in Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. What was that about? Yes. So. Because we're using blockchain technology, I found an accelerator that is number one for blockchain. So when I do things, I like to figure out what's at the top and figure out how to win at the top. And so I found the number one for blockchain technology, and it was in Silicon Valley. It's led by Adam Draper, uh, managing director. He's the son of Tim Draper. Uh, so and that Don makes Draper. and Dom Draper, yep. Yeah. So yeah. No, yes. I know that oh. <laughs> and Adam Draper. Yeah. <laughs> So fourth generation venture capitalists, they, they know what's going on in that space. And I felt like at that point with blockchain technology, you really can focus on New York City or you can focus on Silicon Valley. It's actually technically, from what I've seen, stronger in New York City because fintech has really taken an affinity yes. to blockchain. Yes. 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 But because the number one for blockchain was in Silicon Valley, that's why I w went there and why I wanted to go there. And tell us about the accelerator. Tell us. 
Oh. And it just stopped there. We didn't do yeah, much. Yeah. I went there and it, it was... went there no. and done. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So uh, the Silicon Valley Accelerator was four and a half months of being in San Mateo, California, which is smack dab in the middle of Silicon Valley. So I actually had to look up the geography of Silicon Valley because we all hear about it, but I didn't actually know what it entailed. And so I, I learned the, the geography. It is massive. It's a real valley, it, too. Yes, it yes. is legit. Yeah, yes. it's, it's fantastic. And so we were smack dab in the middle of it. We were about 30 minutes south of San Francisco. Everybody hears Silicon Valley, and they think San Francisco, but we were actually south of it, yes. which I prefer because it was a cute little town, very, very much what I'm used to here. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not want to be in San Francisco. I'm not much of a city person. Um, so four and a half months of intense focus in working with 40 other entrepreneurs from across the world in a basement, literally. I remember when I came back after, this was in June, and I had a, a video conference with one of our first employees, and he was like, are you outside? And I said, I am. <laughs> I am not used to the sun, and I am very grateful that I can take this phone call in the sun. <laughs> well, the basement's the authentic experience. Yes, That's right. yes. Exactly. It was a true authentic experience. <laughs> and so the accelerator was exactly what you expect an accelerator to be. It was a bunch of brand new companies coming together. The accelerator focused on blockchain, augmented reality, and virtual reality. I had heard of virtual reality before, but I'd never experienced it. It is fantastic. <laughs> the companies there were so cool. So you're surrounded with it's number one for blockchain, AR, and VR. So you're surrounded with the top minds in blockchain, top minds in AR and VR, and with mentors that are just highly accessible. So it was great. It was very, very, very difficult. Uh, one thing that I thought was really funny, I started to learn different personalities in the companies. So I noticed that all of the CEOs were down in the office at around 7 or 8 a.m., and then all the developers would come downstairs around 10. <laughs> <laughs> and so we even had our own, like, respective schedules based on the role in the company. So it was, it was an excellent experience. It was very difficult to be away from my husband for four and a half months. So these are all of the sacrifices that you make when you're building a company. Um, but he came out to visit, and I came back to Connecticut, and we made it work. But uh, transformational for a company, for sure. And, and as a result of that, you get listed in a very fa- now famous locally article in Fortune magazine. Yes. <laughs> it, it was listed as the 34 people who will change the face of healthcare. Yes, that's correct. And uh, uh, listed among this, listed in this article were, um, you know, minor celebrities like Bill Gates and Melinda Gates. Um, I, I'm trying to write, there was some very... Joe Biden. Joe Biden mm-hmm. was in there. Yep. And uh, our very own Kat Kuzmeskis. Yes. Oh, Yes. was in there uh, <laughs> saying that that her her blockchain technology her use of blockchain technology in, in healthcare records uh, and simply vital health would would be one of the faces changing healthcare mm-hmm. what did that do for you that was very helpful to my LinkedIn popularity <laughs> uh, <laughs> I had a lot more friends on LinkedIn um, but it did it it brought a different level of respect to our company I think and so I'm very grateful for for that article to have come out. It came out of nowhere. And uh, I actually received an email at 9.30 p.m. And I had three hours to give them a photo because they were printing it that night. And if I didn't send them a photo, then I wouldn't have been in the magazine. So I, I scrambled to, to send them a photo to make sure because um, everybody else had a picture. Um, so it was very short notice. It was very exciting. And we received a lot of inbound leads because of that. So 
I mean, we were in a handful of conversations at that time with potential clients and just shot up to about 35 to 40 potential client conversations. So it was, it was fantastic for us as a company. And actually, because of that article, too, we had a lot of folks reach out that were interested in being advisors or board members. And one Ahem. of those reach outs is coming. And I, that's actually how I uh, heard of her. I didn't know Dave knew Kat. Uh, <laughs> Dave knows everybody. I should have known better. Hey, I will, I will just say, this is what like, I do with my I, nights. I feel like it was like a funny email. Like Chris was like, oh, I found this really cool company. We should, we should email, we should email, we should talk to her. Dave's like, yeah, that's Kat. Yeah. <laughs> Dave just rains in my, every time I think I've found like a new startup, like that Dave hasn't heard of. Nope. He's heard of them. Yep. Yep. So. He works for them every time. <laughs> so, no, but what I find most interesting is, is, I mean, this is, we talk a lot about the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And and you've uh, come a long way in the process, but you've experienced a, a lot of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of, you know, you've expressed to me frustration and mm-hmm. and, and hardship as well as the joys of, of hitting certain things. So, like, going through the accelerator program and then getting in the Fortune article, that like, like that's pinnacle of the world kind mm-hmm. of thing at the moment it happens. But that's not where the story ends. Mm-hmm. And so, so you've had, you know, and you certainly can, you don't have to tell us everything, only what you're comfortable with, but, but, but I know that that didn't instantly turn into millions of dollars in investment for you. <laughs> no. I tell you what, fundraising is the worst process in the world. <laughs> uh, so to quote a fellow Boost VC company, I uh, apologize for the language, he said he would rather get kicked in the balls multiple times per day by a massive WWE wrestler than to have to fundraise ever again. <laughs> and I think it's a similar sentiment. <laughs> Colorful. Different. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I apologized ahead of time. <laughs> it's okay. We fucking swear all the time. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> like, if, if we, we, we have the, we're going to earn that explicit label. Good, good. I like that. So fundraising is extremely challenging. And what's interesting is, is that Fortune article brought in in retrospect, a lot of noise. And I think when yes. you're, yes, when you're an early company, oh, you're like a middle school kid who's dating for the first time. You're like, oh my God, everybody, everybody. Yeah. I will go on a date with you, you, and All you. Of you. <laughs> Morning girlfriend, afternoon girlfriend. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Exactly. So it actually, uh, so a combination of the Fortune article, also some really outstanding pitch events there every single night every single afternoon there's a pinch event in silicon valley we also got a lot of inbound leads of investment investor interest but what i started to realize in retrospect about three and a half months later is that a lot of these investors were interested in the hype of blockchain but they weren't actually comfortable investing in healthcare and so when you brought together healthcare and blockchain two very Technically uncomfortable, new, healthcare is not new, but you know what I mean. Like healthcare mm-hmm. tech is very difficult. Um, it scared a lot of investors away. So we very impressively had 43 investor conversations lined up after two pitch events. So I would say those 43 investors cost about 30 minutes of, of my time for inbound leads. Um, but none of those are going to come through. And 43, I guess, is not a lot because you hear the, the uh, female founder, CEO of The Muse, which is a company, an HR company down in New York City. She's actually quoted as saying she's had 178 no's for her when she was searching for investment. So 43 is not a lot. We've had many, many more no's than that. But I think it's, it's really important to 
for me to reflect on the impact of that Fortune article and the impact of PR kind of bringing in noise into the funnel. And that even though it's coming into the funnel, you still need to qualify those leads that are coming in. Um, and as an early entrepreneur, that's really hard because like the middle school <laughs> kid who's dating, like you're very excited about any interest that comes in. Um, and you have to be very careful. So were, were the leads uh, that came in uh, for like client leads, were those a little more fruitful or potentially a little more serious than the investor? Because the investor, right, is just it, they're just fishing. They're just, saying, yes. hey, you know, yeah, yeah. I also. Yes. And I also learned that investors do fish. Holy cow. I feel like that's just <laughs> obvious. Oh, man. Right. All of these things. Yeah. I was talking to Nisha, mm -hmm. uh, your colleague before this, and, and I was like, they just I feel like there should be a book on this or an article. And the <laughs> There should be. Yes, there should be. That's why we're here. <laughs> but, but I feel like there are plenty of articles out there. Perhaps yeah. it's just the time it takes to find them. Um, and so I, I started to realize that investors are fishing. Or um, if you speak to the non-partner of the venture firm, their job is literally the same thing, you. to yeah. vet yes. you and to fill their funnel. Yes. Um, and so for investors, yes, it was more like fishing. For clients and customers, it was more targeted. So, yes, it was more helpful. There's huge asymmetry now uh, between the entrepreneurs coming through the accelerators and the investors. 20 years ago, you may have had a match to the level of sophistication of a business plan and what it takes to succeed. <laughs> As you've discovered, mm -hmm. that's long ago been eclipsed by a real professional class of VCs that shop the accelerators and know exactly how to find mm -hmm. opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, and frankly, with the tightening of capital in the middle market, some very professional, you know, old school firms are moving down market, I'm putting that in air quotes, mm -hmm. to, you know, to, to meet People like you, yes, and the asymmetry grows. Yes. So I, you know, yeah. it, it's I, it, I think your story. People listening to this podcast, there are going to be lots of folks nodding their heads, and, you mm -hmm. know, in agreement. Mm -hmm. um, don't know what to do about that, but you have mm -hmm. um, are, are still coming through that. But yes. you know, had a lot of success in other ways as well. I mean, mm -hmm. you've now put together a team, and mm -hmm. so so what's going on inside the company right now? Yes, yeah. So we hired our first employee about four weeks ago. He's absolutely fantastic. He is also Teach for America background, Yale School of Management, former Goldman Sachs. And at Goldman Sachs, man, they really, they have an excellent sales training program. And so he's our director of growth and sales and operations. And uh, even though he doesn't come from healthcare, I'm coming in with a healthcare background because as the CEO, I'm still selling and I will be selling for a while. And he comes in with the fantastic sales experience that I do not have. Um, I've also figured out that I'm a funnel filler. I'm not a closer. And so we've kind of built our roles in that way. And I think that fits a CEO a little bit better to just kind of bring in folks and then Jake will close. And he is, I mean, this, he's fantastic. Um, I've learned a lot from him. So I, we, Lucas, my co-founder, uh, technical co-founder, and I went back and forth on who, uh, which role we were going to hire first. So we thought it was going to be a developer. Um, but then I quickly realized that with all of these inbound leads, uh, we have a very full customer and client funnel of Fortune article. I, things are just kind of, I guess, like a domino effect. Like it's just rolling and it's 
awesome, but that I just needed more it's support. It's a good problem to it's have. It's a good right? problem to have, yes. Uh, and so then Lucas and I realized that we need to bring someone in-house on sales because my biggest weakness was closing deals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I said, I can learn this, and I am in, in the process of learning it. I'm working with a coach. I'm working with Jake. But I very much hired to fill that yeah, weakness. The need. And, and he probably, I don't, I haven't met him. Have I met him? I don't think so. Okay. Um, he probably has the cadence and yes, yes he is going to look like the funders. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. very smart, mm-hmm. very smart. Yes. Uh, okay. <laughs> yes. Yep. The women there just had a moment, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool, man. It's cool. founders. So, 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 so look like so, the funders, yeah. i.e. the three of you white males. Yeah, today. we're just sitting here looking at each other like, oh. So, yeah. I have a funny story. Again, no offense to be had or to be taken. No, no, um, no, no. But I was in an in-person meeting a couple of weeks ago, and Jake was on the phone. We tried to set up a video conference, but it didn't work. We actually thought this was going to be a customer conversation with a massive data analytics company in, in healthcare looking for potential synergies and partnerships, um, potential acquirer down the line, like steamrolled into an investment conversation out of the blue, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the end of the conversation, because Jake couldn't see, he was like, and also the individual I was speaking with is former Wall Street. Uh, and Jake said, I had a friend in college who had a song, White Boy on Wall Street. <laughs> And would describe that the typical attire of a Wall Street guy is a polo and khakis. And I was like, that is exactly what he was wearing. (laughs) (laughs) That is exactly it. it, But it was great getting back to your point that that Jake uh, connects with these investors. Mm -hmm. Exact same background. Mm -hmm. Exact same collegiate background, uh, Wall Street background. And they just jived. Um, but I thought that, that that perspective was kind well, of funny. What's what's helpful, and what you you said these do, these two pieces now. You presented at first mm-hmm. um, a series of unknowns for them. So you know, there's healthcare, right? That's mm-hmm. that is a slow moving. It's a hard risk for them to assess. Yes. So bringing in this sort of Indian guide, mm-hmm. right? If we can, or maybe it's Native American guide. Oh, sorry. you're fine. Sorry. Explicit oh, warning. Right. Very, uh, yeah, <laughs> Please send all of the We're not PC. We're not PC. Right? Um, so, so that helps sort of defang and demysticize, you know, what's happening now. People go, so because, because in my experience in, in this in, and, and just talking to you that one time that we mm-hmm. had this long meeting about the business model, which I love and we can't do justice to here. But trust me, Kate and her team of mighty, the mighty two guys who are with her. I mean, phenomenal um, deconstruction of a problem mm-hmm. with a few, we've talked about blockchain, but a few other proprietary bits of magic mm, yes. <laughs> that that really go to the core of the problem here, which is, and let me just say a couple things and then you jump in because I'm just going to sort of seed the problem. The problem is that the model for paying for healthcare is shifting very dramatically at the same time that the market composition is shifting mm-hmm. so hospital groups are larger and larger and larger and they're they're integrating vertically a little bit and horizontally a little bit and there hasn't been a winning model yet there men that's a very so you've got this marketplace that's fragmented but consolidating quickly mm-hmm. you've got a shift in the way payment is being made that would that would um create winners and losers in the way these models have already been uh, constructed, 
And now we have layer onto that new technologies, new expectations from patients, um, uh, new ways to think about the standards of care mm -hmm. that are being legislated more and more. Mm -hmm. So, so you've constructed sort of this interesting, you know, way of thinking about here's how we're going to consider and reconsider patient-centered care given, given the need for cutting-edge technology, the need to understand where the control point is in the therapies, mm -hmm. and the need to improve patient experience throughout. Mm -hmm. So I'll stop because I, I was so impressed with the solution you put forward. Thank you. And I think that gets to the customer discovery. And I, since I had worked at CT Next and since I had read a lot about entrepreneurship and building a company, it was very obvious that that customer discovery is extremely important and crucial. And so that combined with a strategic planner background. So I was a strategic planner for the health system for two years. So I was advising our, our senior leadership in C-suite on this, where we are right now, two and a half years ago. Listen, you should go here, yeah. all right? <laughs> There's something's going to happen here in <laughs> two years, all right? If you guys are going to go there, I'm going to have to quit, all right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it's really interesting because there's a company that I admire very much in Silicon Valley. It's, uh, it's also a healthcare tech company. And they started a, a three and a half or four years ago. And right now is their why now moment. So we... Our, we started with our why now, if that makes sense. So when you describe this transition to payments, now is when this is necessary. This uh, entrepreneur and CEO started his company four years ago and just now is starting to like get a lot of momentum because the providers need his solution. And then I, I asked the team I was meeting with, well, how did he know that this was coming? And they said that the CEO was one of the ones that helped to write the Affordable Care Act. Yes. So he knew it was coming. Bomb, bomb, bomb. Yeah. Wait, yeah. Next, actually, yeah, after saying that, I realized that it would be mixed feelings. But uh, that's <laughs> No <Sorry>. way. Come <laughs> on. I, I took it more as the fact that he saw that he, because the way that they were writing the Affordable Care Act, he knew that it was going to cause a problem. And he could try to stay within the federal government and fix it, and that would take a long time. And we all see where that's going now with electronic medical records. It didn't really work out as everyone had thought. And so he just decided to, you know what, I'm just going to, I know this is coming. I know this is going to be a massive problem, and I'm going to fix it. And so I, I admire him from taking that perspective, uh, not so much of, like, legislating something and then profiting off of it. I legislating a like problem that. and then yeah. profiting from it? Yes. <laughs> Here, here's a solution for it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that's yeah. what lawyers do. Yeah, that's yeah, our yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Stay out of our business. Da yeah, Dave's <laughs> getting <laughs> So, do you think that there's a class of healthcare entrepreneurs that are coming in now and trying to solve problems that exist because of the shifting landscape? Absolutely. Yes. A lot of the healthcare tech companies that we network with, that we work with, are trying to fix this entrenched uh, interoperability problem, this inability to share data, and just the... the arcane nature of the technology that we're working with. There's a lot of, there are a lot of great medical devices out there. That tech, I think Biomed has done a great job. But in terms of healthcare tech platform software, we're very behind and, and everybody wants to try to make an impact. Well, and I think we saw that happen with uh, over in uh, England there with the whole hacking of the mm. uh, national healthcare system. It, it was like something, it was like 
just so out of date and so terrible. It was pretty easy to get into, as I understand it. I'm not exactly. a hacker. But yeah. uh, to your yeah. point, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, and that's exactly what happened. They just hadn't updated their – they were using an outdated Microsoft that four years ago Microsoft said, we will not send any patches for this. We're not going to update it. And they just didn't update their – their systems because they didn't want to break it they were like oh yep. no yeah <laughs> i just yep. see that as like somebody in their it department being like listen this is i don't get paid enough to really figure yeah. this out or like you know this isn't my problem it's, yeah. it's, <laughs> it's one guy in the basement basically <laughs> like, for the entire yeah. place yeah. or or he said we need to upgrade all of these and they said we don't have the budget for that well yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah. that's usually the reason right yeah, yeah. and yeah. so uh so uh is this also the idea uh so pa- patient-centered care um is that also on the same lines as like people kind of being able to have access to their own data, because that's another thing too, mm-hmm. is that like this uh, this biohacking kind of a mentality and this kind of like I'm going to take control. Like I need to know the most about my body than my doctors do. Like mm-hmm. you should, I should be coming to you with the questions and everything. Not nah. mm-hmm. so. So is that part of this as well, or so kind of? So that's the long term plan, and that's why blockchain is so interesting. Mm-hmm. And I always get asked the question. It's usually wherever I am geographically in the nation. Do you actually need blockchain? I mean, technically we don't, but I also prefer a more updated Mac because it works better than the one that was four years ago. So if the technology is there, why not Why not use it? it it's a massive asset to what we're trying to solve in healthcare. So yes, we don't have to use it. We could use a standard Postgres database and silo all of our data, but why? Like We have this amazing yeah. technology that we can build out. So to get to that What's awesome in healthcare is I think we're, f- we're starting to see the momentum of that shift of where patients want access to their data. And I, it could be very generationally driven, but that's why blockchain can be so helpful. So in our vision, in our blockchain roadmap, yes, we started with a very practical approach to blockchain, but the reason we did is because I knew that blockchain was going to take time to be adopted by healthcare. And so I started with something that was very safe. They are, we already have to be HIPAA compliant. We'll make the most secure HIPAA protocol on the market, and then we're going to start introducing blockchain to providers. You hook them in, and then you can... Exactly. And so what we're building, what we're growing to, is more of an ecosystem where patients and providers and anyone in the healthcare continuum are allowed to buy, sell, and share healthcare data. So that's interesting. So I guess, and this, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm I'm taking this from like the the idea of Bitcoin, right? So blockchain, mm-hmm. right? So so blockchain, um, all the ledger is is public, mm-hmm. but there's thousands of different ledgers out there, right? There's copies of all those ledgers yep. everywhere, right? So my understanding from Bitcoin, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, and because I'm going to be, I'm thinking about like there's a lot of data that goes back and forth between medical offices, right? And yes. I would assume that there's going to be a lot of data once this thing is really going, right? Yes. A lot of data. So isn't it with the blockchain? Um, is that like the more transactions there are means the more copies of the t- entire ledger that are out there, meaning that the processing power of the entire network actually slows down with the mm-hmm. amount of transactions. Yes. So I assume that like with the ecosystem, we're talking about literally millions of transactions a day. And that's why blockchain and you see the other cryptocurrencies coming out where they can do it in a, di- they can, you know, ether and whatever, yeah. but, but it's because if there was that many, you know, transact too many transactions can cause the system to like just freeze. Right. Mm-hmm. Kind of a thing. Yeah. So, yes. So, which is why if you hear anyone that's saying that they're going to store all of our electronic medical records and our x-rays and things like that on the blockchain, that actually is not a good solution. So, blockchain is yeah, not good for data. Uploading it to downloading. Exactly. It, uploading it and downloading. And it just, it, it makes it very bloated and mm-hmm. slow. So, what we're doing is we're actually sharing key pairs and identities. 
so that when you, as a physician over here at Hospital A, would like to share this patient's shared record with a provider, which is HIPAA mm -hmm. allowed, then you only share key pairs. And that actually unlocks access to data. And then you're able to view it. Oh, so, so okay. So the transaction share, isn't yes. actually the data. It's the it's the password, basically. It's the ID. It's the, exactly. it's the password. So, so let's go back a moment, though. Because you, you had a smile on your face when you, when you said something about about physicians and uh, uh, patients and providers being able to sell information. <laughs> yes, because I figured someone was going to ask about it. All right. So full transparency. There is a massive multi-billion dollar market that buys all of your healthcare data. It's Anonymized, please tell it's me. It's de-identified. <laughs> yes, it okay. is de-identified. <laughs> and the two top companies that do this are LexisNexis and HMS. And I think probably both are actually publicly traded. Multi-billion dollar companies that are profiting off of all of our data. So we're not like anti-establishment or anti-government and anti-banking like some people are in blockchain. But what we are interested in is it gets back to this patient piece that you were talking about, which is not only do we want to have a good knowledge of our data, I would very much prefer to see my data in aggregate instead of six electronic medical records. But I would also like to be able to provide that data to researchers if they're interested. So you, I get to sell my own data yes. to the researchers Absolutely. and also get to presumably get access to that data myself, right? Because yes. if I'm going to so, give you my... Okay, so we I actually like get it. the money for it as opposed to... LexisNexis. As opposed to the hospital selling it to LexisNexis. Exactly. Or and else. also we would get the date. I mean, like, because exactly. again, because you're giving, you're giving, technically my data's already been out there. It's already helped about the, these yeah. research studies. And I don't even understand what those research studies were for, exactly. right? Exactly. So I don't have to keep signing up for these, uh, we need participants in this test for this placebo thing. They can find you. So there, that explains so, so much. There are, <laughs> actually, and there are a lot of, I mean, that's a massive opportunity with blockchain is clinical trials. And it's already come out as, of interest. And so what they do is since your identity, your 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 demographic profile, say not your name, your demographic profile is searchable using what's called an oracle in blockchain, what they can do is they can say I'm looking for this gender, this age with this type of demographic and you can pull an aggregate of that data. So that's the ideal state with blockchain. So the reason this came about to us is, so Lucas and I have been planning this ecosystem for, for a while. This has always been, been in the cards and, and been kind of our lofty vision out here, this moonshot, if you will. But it was really solidified when MIT approached us saying that they want to be able to purchase research data for their own research. And you're like, why do you want to purchase yeah. research data? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. <laughs> And so it's, you know, there's a lot of research that gets done. There's a lot of data that you can, there's a lot of insight that you can pull from this data. Precision medicine is gaining interest and importance. And if you're able to essentially unlock access to that data, there's a lot of power to that. So that's what we're building towards. Um, and the other piece, too, which we're really excited about is uh, the end of our goal is um, with blockchain, you can actually, with the same key pairs, is you can do a couple of things. You can rent out server storage in your computers. Yep. Yep. And then you can also rent out computer power. So we're taking the storage piece of it. Um, I was in a meeting a week ago. I had just passed a HIPAA compliant server space, and I was pitching a VC. And I said, oh, a server room? Do you have space in your servers? Why, yes, I do. Would you like to make money on that space in your server? Why, yes, I would. Exactly. That's our vision. So we will be able to, if you have space in your HIPAA-compliant server, 
will allow that space the to, be open. to be there, right? Exactly. And so companies like ours, a healthcare tech company, we don't have to rely on AWS, which is a one single point of failure. We will actually be able to distribute our data in our our platform and all of these different servers so that if one node goes down, we're still up and running. And again, that's the whole idea behind blockchain exactly. in general, right? And that's why FinTech loves it, right? Yep. And yeah. or at least yeah. loves so, it and hates it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So Kat, we need to wrap it up. Um, why don't you, first of all, two last questions. Any regrets? Absolutely not. No. This is, aside from teaching on the Texas-Mexico border, hardest thing I've ever done. But every day is different, and and I love it. I love it. It's so, great. So I actually have two questions after you, and I think Ooh. these are important. Okay. <laughs> well, what, why don't we go to your two questions? No, so, so actually, no, two, two things. One, um... So you went from CT Next. You were part, you know, part of the ecosystem. You were still mm -hmm. at Yale, but you're going to the, you know, going around to yeah. everywhere. That's how we originally met. Um, advice on startups in Connecticut: If you need to leave Connecticut, should you leave? Because again, because like, because mm -hmm. that's the thing is that I feel like sometimes a lot of the the startups in here they're ingrained with the organizations and everything like that, and it gets stuck where it's like, no, just grind it out. You can do it here. Yep. You can get it right out. But the best, sometimes the best thing is to leave for six months and come back. Yes. Right? Yeah. So I think for us personally, leaving and going to Silicon Valley was was very, very good for us. It gave, it expanded our network. So now we have uh, literally a bi-coastal network. Mm -hmm. uh, we are now connected to the top place to be connected if you're a tech company. So I think that that is, for us, it was pivotal and mm -hmm. transformational. Yes. Right. And so another thing, too, is that I, I, know I don't have experience in it because I, I, I can't. I mean, you'll understand why when I ask questions. But like so women in tech. Right. Mm -hmm. So so a big thing now is like the, this big idea of like women in tech. Yep. And it's very hard for them to raising money. It's very hard oh, to be in, yes. the, in the bro network. It's, a, you know, that kind of a yeah. thing. Give us a little insight into that. I mean, yeah. I assume Connecticut's not as bad. I would hope so, but it's also not as intense. Yeah, you know, out there. And yeah. So. so I am very lucky. I grew up with two brothers and a single mom, and often mom then therefore had to also play the fatherly figure. So I am very comfortable in a broy culture. <laughs> really comfortable. You can bro it. Up. I can bro. I can bro it. Actually, <laughs> I <laughs> one of my strongest connections I made at Yale New Haven was with uh, the finance team that I worked with. There was a group of, of male finance leaders. Finance bros. Finance <laughs> bros. They were not wearing polos, <laughs> but finance bros. And we connected. Uh, so being from Texas, uh, I own guns. I have shotguns yeah. before. <laughs> uh, my husband is a very talented skeet shooter. It's like duck, duck hunt back on Nintendo. Uh, and that's how I connected with them. We, we got down to the social level of being able to connect on skeet shooting. And I even went skeet shooting with them. It's just the same way you would go golfing with someone and formed really strong connections that way. So I'm really comfortable in mm -hmm. the brewery culture. However, there was I do feel a little bit of that gender bias. Mm -hmm. Fundraising has been awful. Uh, I think it's terrible for everybody, but this it's just really, really hard. And there was an article that was published about four weeks ago that I am so appreciative of the universities that did this study. They actually recorded the conversations of pitch meetings of entrepreneurs with venture capitalists and then bisected by, based on gender and then analyzed the questions. And I have 100% experienced this. So male founders will get asked questions that typically hover around, how are you going to scale this company? Mm -hmm. And then female founders will get asked questions that say, how are you going to keep this from failing? Mm -hmm. And there are very specific vocabulary mm -hmm. words they use to separate mm -hmm. those. Mm -hmm. There's a table of them mm -hmm. in the article. 
check straight down the column how are you going to keep this from failing and it makes me it just irks me a little bit because i've done a lot in my life teach for america is more selective than harvard law 4.0 in my master's program like i didn't just come from nothing like i worked really hard yeah. and have attained a lot and i almost just want to say like how am i going to keep this afloat look at look at what i've done i've not ever not kept something afloat and here's what we've done already in the six months and this is where we're going mm -hmm. and so i just i feel like even i i just kind of feel like without regard of my background they would ask those questions so there, that was very, very clear to me. Yeah, and there's been a lot of said about the fact that um, male founders, there's a presumption of success, and they're funded on potential. Yes, and they can fail, but the, and like that's what I've heard is that yes. you, from a, from a male founder perspective, they're willing to let you fail two or three times, whereas yes. if you're the female CEO, right. one time and like you're you're basically done. But yeah. okay, professional CEO, and let's bring him in. Right. You yep. know, kind of a thing. Yeah, whereas there there is no benefit of the doubt typically. There's much less so for women, and it's a risk management play. Yes, and that's what you're describing. Absolutely, and yeah, yes. it, has, it hasn't changed. Um, you know. Ellen Pow just wrote her book. Um, it's going to mm -hmm. be out soon, and I, I can't wait to read that. And actually, oh uh, so Chris, we should get that article up on the show notes. Yeah. Yes. Okay, balls. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say it is, I, I do feel that there's a shift. There, there's a big conversation happening in Silicon yes. Valley right yes. now. There are, there are companies that are dedicated to trying to close this gender issue. But having worked in the educational system where there's uh, educational inequity, mm -hmm. It, it's going to take some time. I think we're moving in the right direction, which is great and fantastic, but I think there's still definitely more work that needs to be done. Well, Kat, I can definitely say you've got four fans here. Yep. Yes. Um, Thank you. We all fully believe in you <laughs> and your company. And uh, if other people listen to this podcast, all two of you out there, yeah. um, and want, want to flood her with uh, with potential yes. deals, and, 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 <laughs> yes. no, no, no money, no, no VC yeah, money, nothing like that. Just deals. deals. If you want to become customers. part yeah. of Cat's Noise, then yeah. uh, how how, uh, how should they contact you? Yeah, so you can actually send me a direct email at Catherine K A T H E R I N E at simplyvitalhealth.com. And I do answer all my emails, you know, even getting back to that oh, noise come on, you're level. Not, you're, not, you're, not, you're not that big yet. Come on. Not yet. <laughs> come on. Almost. Come on. <laughs> she got back to me. I do have someone manning my LinkedIn profile, though. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> and, Cheater. I know. <laughs> Does uh, SVH have a website yet? Yes, simplyvitalhealth.com. Great. Yes. Well, we've really enjoyed having you on here. Yeah, thank you very much, Cap. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to CT Startup. More Connecticut startup news, information, and events can be found at ctstartup.com. The weekly episodes of this podcast can be downloaded from iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and ctstartup.com. We would like to thank both Sublime Exposure Online and Mirtha Kalima for providing resources and space to CT Startup, which make this show possible. See you next week.